Welcome back to episode 78 of the Blockrunner podcast. Here is where we discuss the latest developments in cryptocurrency while we make this new technology relatable to you. You can watch this podcast on our YouTube channel to follow along with our discussion. As always, I'm your host, William, talking with your co-host, Iman, and today we bring you a very special guest, the CEO of Liquidity.network, Arthur Gervais. Here are some of the topics we discussed today. First up, Arthur breaks down how and why there's scalability struggle with some of the larger blockchain networks. Next, what are the differences between sidechain and off-chain solutions for scaling? Then, what makes Liquidity Network handle transactions better than the other second-layer scaling solutions like Matic or Raiden? And finally, how does the implementation of ETH 2.0 affect Liquidity Network? All right, let's listen in. And today we're bringing Arthur Gervais, CEO of Liquidity Network. Welcome, man. Thank you very much, William Hyman. Thank you. So, uh, so we have a couple of questions, uh, but before we start, I'm curious, where are you located? Uh, we are located mostly in well Switzerland, but as a decentralized project, we have people around the world basically working on on different oh, nice. aspects. Yeah. Yeah. The reason why I ask is because I think everybody is experiencing. Um, the pandemic a little bit differently um, over here is it's actually gotten worse in uh, Texas in the states um, so how are you guys faring right now with the pandemic uh, it's fairly okay I have to say um, obviously we had uh, I think we had like one co- potential corona case in the team which was quite oh, really? um, okay quite a shock but nothing too serious uh, yeah everything everything is fine <laughs> so okay far. good good yeah. Yeah, that's the benefit I guess of the the industry we're in, right? It's we it's we're all on the computer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't necessarily all have to be in offices to collaborate, but that's interesting. You said you're like yeah, it's a decentralized project. Uh, obviously, everything in the crypto space is aiming towards that goal. So like what's uh, is that difficult like uh like running a project where like not everybody is in the same location? You know, are there any kind of uh, it, it, yes, it certainly comes with its challenges. I find. Um, yeah, it, it, it's certainly very different from running a from from basically a, a normal company where you have an office and people are in the office, right? So if you have yeah. a decentralized project, then I mean, people can show up, they cannot show up, they can do things, they cannot do things. But hmm. ultimately, in in a decentralized project, it's really important to. Um, to, to, to foster decentralization. There should not be like a single actor that can control everything, that can decide on everything. Mm-hmm. Um, because otherwise, it's this is not in the spirit of, of blockchains, right? So we, for example, we just recently um, open sourced uh, all our software stack. So now you can, you can run a hub. You can have the mobile wallet, which works both on Android and on iOS. Uh, you have the client in JavaScript. You have the Explorer and, and other tools. It's everything open source now. And we're quite excited to onboard basically new uh, members of the community that will operate hubs. So oh, good. We, we, are, we, are, we just had a deadline on the 1st of August for applications for a hub operator program where mm. people can, can operate a liquidity network hub um, and they get subsidized uh, to do so. Uh, so they can build their, kind of their own user base, uh, their own ecosystem, their own off-chain ecosystem. Uh, to perform payments, but also to swap assets uh, if they if they want to enable that. Oh, swap assets within the Ethereum ecosystem. Uh, within the off-chain, um, within the off-chain hub. So mm. we have we've, we've kind of built a payment hub, uh, which allows you to. So if we three we would join this hub, then we can perform payments among each other, right? Oh, if okay. I deposit one ether into the hub, then I get one F ether which I can send either to you or to you or split it in, in whatever denomination I would like to. Sure. Um, but the software and the design of the protocol also allows you to do swaps. So here it depends a bit on, on your regulatory aspects and of where, where the hub operator is, is, is running. But uh, in, in, yeah, you can, you can technically it's, it's, it certainly works. Hmm. Now that's, that makes sense. So uh, once we create a hub, then we can, do swaps, but which currencies are you swapping? Is it cryptocurrencies or is it fiat currencies? 
So to yeah, you, if you want to operate the hub, you basically need to take the the software we have. Um, I mean, obviously you check it, you look at it, what it is, mm-hmm. because you shouldn't run any code without actually looking yeah, at it. Yeah, for right? sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, then uh, you deploy it. So a deployment of a hub costs a bit more than a hundred US dollar at the current gas prices. I think it was about seventy bucks at thirty five way. Um, and yeah, I think current costs are like fifty or so. Uh, so it's a bit higher. Um, then you have a, a hub running. So what the hub does, uh, he can onboard user. So you can join a hub by sending a, a signed message to the to the hub. There's no on-chain transaction. That's the cool part. So mm-hmm. the in the in this off-chain technology, you join this this hub without any on-chain transaction, and you basically have a, a ready account in this in this in this uh, liquidity network commit chain, we call it. It's like a hub, it's a commit chain, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you do a transaction, so if you, if, you, if you want to perform a transaction, you first need to get some funds. Either you get these funds from another account that sends them to you off-chain mm-hmm. on this off-chain uh, system, or you deposit. For example, you can deposit one ETH into the, into the contract or smaller denominations. And this will convert the one ETH into an FETH token. Okay. And this FEF token is what you can transmit then off chain. Oh, interesting. So to put it into context, uh, so we we have our own um, DAP application, um, and it's it's sort of like uh, an app store for Decentraland. I don't know if you heard the project called Decentraland. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a metaverse. Yeah. And uh, so what this DAP does, it helps distribute content, uh, user created content, to the world in a very in a few clicks. And so, so we have our own community. And so what you're saying, we can use the liquidity network to create a hub amongst our own community and people can transact with our DAP and others within that uh, community within this hub. And, and you could, so what are the limitations in the, in the currency for, for the hub? Is it any cryptocurrency or is there a specific defined set of currencies? So if I'm not mistaken, decentralized uses NFTs, right? So you yes. have uh, ERC seven two ones. So we only support um, fungible tokens. Fungible, so okay. ERC twenty or seven seven seven, for instance. Um, yeah, uh, we have basically any ERC twenty is is a no brainer to integrate. It's very simple. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So is it possible to like integrate NFTs down the line, or maybe like uh, replicate this model of decentralization uh, and scalability for like an NFT trading platform? Um, so the the way we map um, a user account balance is by, I mean, we basically have a Merkle tree of uh, like an indexed Merkle tree. So the, the root, we have the root and then the, the bottom is are the account balances of the users, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm not exactly sure how we could map an account balance, which is an interval between like, for example, I don't know, whatever, zero to 20 coins, uh, how we could map this to a f- like a fixed, like to an NFT that you yeah. submit in, into the, I'm, I don't think the design is particularly suited to that, uh, but there might be ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's something to explore. I, I think uh, we're kind of dabbling like in our past podcast, we've been discussing because not only do we have this platform, this distribution platform, we're actively creating a game experiences, blockchain games in the Decentraland world. Mm-hmm. And that comes with experimenting with uh, ERC-1155 protocol, you know, in-game uh, NFTs, stuff like that. And, and basically all the same issues that any crypto project, you know, the, the blockchain gaming space is facing the same thing, meaning like the gas fees are just way too high to where it's like not viable to create or to expect any type of a engagement from a player base, you know, because it's just there has to be a, a way around or like some kind of solution to this problem. And we're always right. trying to think about what that is in our, in, in, for our case, you know, the NFT yeah. ecosystem. Um, so yeah, have you looked into like other? I mean, I don't think any payment channel does support NFTs, as far as I know, or state channels. Do they support mm-hmm. NFTs? I haven't looked into it. Or did any of the Plasma versions allow for NFT transfers? I, I'm I'm also not aware. Have you looked? Into I I don't I don't think it does. But uh, but it, within the smart contract, you can I believe use the Plasma network to exchange 
ERC twenty for an NFT. So I, I believe that's how oh, you would okay. do it. Right. I mean, you can always. What you could always do is you can map an NFT to an ERC twenty, right, and yes. then just trade its parts. So this you could do, right? So yeah, this is actually uh, maybe a funny idea. But I mean, if you have an NFT, you can. You could add a coin to a to a Nokus hub as this NFT. That's oh, the I coin see, that yeah. you add. That's a good idea. <laughs> That's a good idea. And then and then you just slice it, and it's fungible. Like uh, the, the the parts of it are fungible. Yeah. So so yeah, that's actually a good idea. So there's a similar project to this, but the idea would be that you take an NFT and then you map it to let's say a hundred ERC twenty tokens, and then mm -hmm. that and you can split it within the hub. And then and and the collector represents the entire value of the NFT potentially, or or maybe the the it's sort of like an equity of the the NFT, right? It you is. Want, you want yeah. a percentage yeah. of the NFT. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So uh, let's take it back just a little bit. So let's let's get some perspective on because liquidity network is is sort of an off chain scaling solution. So let's talk about what the solution is for in terms of the application towards Ethereum. So do you, in your own words, like how would you describe Ethereum's scalability problem? Um, the problem is basically something that, um, how to say, there is a limited amount of space uh, or limited amount of data that we can exchange among all validating peers in a peer-to-peer -peer network. Mm -hmm. So... Um, I think that's basically the gist of it. Yes. Yeah. So well, it's like it, it boils down to Ethereum being able to tr process, let's say, tens of transactions per second. Is that because the the the, the block size isn't big enough to to hold more data, or I mean, what what's the the root issue with with the scaling in, in Ethereum? So the, um, I mean, this applies basically to any blockchain that is based on some kind of proof of work scheme. So you have a, you have a consensus mechanism, right? Where you elect a leader who decides what's, what's the current truth, mm -hmm. right? You want to, you want somebody to say this transaction happened mm -hmm. and he, he will also say this one did not happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, he doesn't say it, but if he, if he doesn't mention a transaction, then this the, the transaction that wasn't mentioned didn't happen. Sure. Right? So it's it's really about uh, what is the representation of truth, and somebody needs to decide on the truth. Even though we are a decentralized network, somebody in the end has to decide. Now, the idea of decentralization is to allow like a diverse set of entities ge geographically distributed to have a chance to have a say at some given point in time. Right. Mm -hmm. um, now. In Bitcoin or Ethereum, it's yeah. In Bitcoin, it's the block size. In Ethereum, it's the gas limit, right? Uh, because a transaction can can be very small, but can take up a lot of computation due to loops. Um, now, um, this this complexity, whether it's now the size or the or the, or the the gas costs that are measured, it's basically the same concept. Um, it is like the more complex or the the more complex this computation becomes, the the less everybody can do this, the less likely everyone in the network can do it, right? It's mm -hmm. like, it's literally like you have a distributed computer, right? You you want to, I don't know, you want to um, draw a line on a picture, mm -hmm. right? If you have like Photoshop, this like in a decentralized, uh, decentralized Photoshop that is running on your computer, on my computer, and on 10 other computers worldwide distributed, and I want to draw a line on this picture in this, in this decentralized Photoshop, then all these nodes, they will have to do the same computation, right? And because they're physically distributed, there's a latency, there's mm -hmm. a communication latency. Um, I mean, in this call here, we probably have a communication latency of, I don't know, um, maybe 40, 50 milliseconds, depending on your internet connection. Mm -hmm. um, but this is just because we're directly connected to each other. Now, if I'm connected to somebody else behind me, and there's again, somebody connected behind me, behind him, then this latency kind of accumulates, mm -hmm. right? So there's a it's an inherent, I mean, the, the academics say it's an asynchronous network. Mm -hmm. So asynchronous in the sense that you transmit data and it only trickles down the network um, given, given a certain time. So Christian Decker made actually the first paper on measuring the information propagation speed in, in, in Bitcoin. Mm. 
And he had a very nice plot in his paper where he shows that uh, there's quite a long tail. So uh, like to, to get to 100% of the nodes to receive all the data takes really a long time, like much longer than the than like a few seconds. Sure. While uh, like 80, 70% of the nodes receive data really fast. Mm -hmm. So in the end, like let's say we let's say we all go to sleep. We sleep for 10 years uh, and the internet got better by then by, because some people didn't sleep. Mm -hmm. then um, Ethereum would be just more scalable instantly. Right? Interesting. We can, like um, if, the, if the propagation speeds of, of the network become better, the throughput gets better by default. Because um, the inherent tension in, in, in scaling is the network propagation and the, the block time interval. So if you have, or like the block size and the block time interval are two parameters that you have to look at in proof of work blockchains and you have the network layer speed. So the bigger the blocks, the slower they propagate mm -hmm. and the more likely two miners find the block at the same height. Mm, and if, if two miners find the block at the same height, we have a fork. Um, and if we have a fork, then uh, an adversary who wants to attack the network either through double spending or selfish mining, will have an easier game at, at attacking the network. That's because, I mean, in Germany, we have the saying, if two people fight, like there's a third one who, 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 who will enjoy, uh, who, who, will get a, who will reap a benefit from it, right? right, right, right. <laughs> and and it's, lit it's literally that, right? If you have two miners that are not working together, but both like creating a fork, then an adversary has an easier game because now the, the processing power of this network is kind of smaller, Because like, if the honest network is really like 50-50 on the fork, then the adversary basically only needs, needs less power to attack this network. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's very intuitive kind of because these two people, they, they, are not, they don't agree or these two networks, they don't agree because they're, they're working on two competing sure. chains, uh, but only the longest can win in the end. Sure. That makes and, sense because yeah. if, if you try to scale Bitcoin by just increasing the block size, from one megabyte to 10 gigs, then you would have to send 10 gigs every 10 minutes to all miners. And, and, there, and, and then at that point, it, it would be the, the miner who mines it first. And then you would have a more likely situation where there's a fork just because miners are, have different sets of data in, in those 10 gigs, right? And so- Correct. Yes. So, um, I mean, that would work if the internet becomes faster, faster but right, it, correct. It's, it's, it's not fast enough. Yeah. So actually, I mean, this was one, this was my last paper in my, my PhD dissertation that was quantifying, um, what, what parameters can you use and what kind of scalability do you get? Mm -hmm. Um, and what security trade-off do you, do you compromise if you scale up the block sizes or, or lower the block interval. Sure, so sure. Mm -hmm. I, I built a, a Bitcoin simulator, uh, that's also open source. Where you can uh, where you can parameterize Bitcoin with any block size or block time interval that you want to let the run let the thing run and then you get out a stale block rate. Mm -hmm. Stale block rate quantifies how many stale blocks you have because you you have forks in the chain. Mm -hmm. And Ethereum, for instance, has just by definition of its smaller block interval, uh, it has a higher block uh, stale block rate than than Bitcoin. Uh, but it, this doesn't necessarily mean that it's less secure. Uh, because you in, in Ethereum, you would not wait six block confirmations as you would in Bitcoin. So in a sense, one block confirmation in Bitcoin is not equivalent in terms of security to one block confirmation in Ethereum. Interesting. Um, I just had to throw a random question out there. This isn't necessarily too related to uh, the liquidity number, but I just kind of wanted to see your opinion on these on-chain scaling proposals that have been out there in the space now, I guess, for the last few years, com comparing, you know, proof of work versus proof of stake and like these whole blockchain 3.0 versions that have been out there, like EOS, Cardano, the whole delegated proof of stake. Do those make sense to you? Are they flawed in any way as far as like security risks go? Um, or is like Ethereum the network that we should all be working to improve and, you know, projects like yourself, Uh, gearing to you know fix these scaling solutions uh what do you think 
Uh, it's, it's a very broad question, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. So, yeah. so, so um, I, I don't think one, fi- one, one rules them all, right? I think there's a, there's a whole garden of opportunities of different technologies and this diversification is what brings us all forward, which is great, mm. right? So I think we should always welcome diversification, whether it's on layer one, on layer two, on, or on other, uh, on other fronts. Because it's, um, it's so experimental, right, at this phase, right? Because you're an yeah. academic, so you understand that more than I think most people. Like, what, what phase we're actually in as, as a sector, I guess, like, uh, yeah, I the think technology. The biggest, yeah, the, the biggest challenge in, in if, like, if there's so many new proposals coming about is to take the time to set back and to understand and quantitatively measure what properties they achieve. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I've done. I, I took like a, a fair chunk of my PhD to understand proof of work blockchains alone, and this only captures proof of work. So it only captures like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and reparameterization of these coins, like Dogecoin, Litecoin, and all the all these forks, right? That that use different parameters, but it doesn't capture anything that's related to proof of stake or um, or or other types of uh, or other types of consensus mechanisms. It doesn't capture BFT protocols. Um, so like quantifying them all together, like in an objective way, is really hard, right? And yeah. it's just conceptually really difficult. So what what it mostly boils down to is that um, you get maybe different scaling properties in like a proof of stake blockchain, but this often comes at some kind of a drawback or compromise in terms of security. Mm-hmm. Now yeah. I can't tell you precisely now what this one is, but from 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 what I've seen, it's always like. Either it's less decentralized, less central, less decentralized, or more centralized, or um, or there's some kind of a way to 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 game the system. I mean, measuring security in general really requires you to find the best, the, the strongest adversary. Mm-hmm. So if you can't find, I mean, you you first you first need to find what is the best attack that I know yeah. against the system, and once you have that, then you can compare similar systems. Um, yeah, but but then jumping from like a POS to a PU, uh, proof of work and comparing them directly objectively is is really tough. I think mm. this is still an open research question, and I don't mm. see much research uh, being put into that, to be honest. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense because I mean, if you look at Vitalik and now they're moving to E 2.0, I mean they're pretty adamant that E 2.0 is going to help scale Ethereum uh, more efficiently than proof of work. So is there any have you seen any credibility behind that in terms of like is is a proof of stake something that could conceivably help with the scaling solution problem? Um, depends depends on 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 how it works. So I haven't looked into ETH 2.0 in detail, so I'm I'm not in a position to to give any 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 qualified opinion. But um, I have looked a bit into some early proof of stake solutions and they all seemed really complex and involved to me um, mm. to okay. the extent that I get a headache when I read the, their papers or proposals. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, like the, the proof of stake, I mean, the, the lead, I think we need to decouple two things here. There's the, the leader election mechanism, right? If we elect a leader um, and this is like, uh, we we have like one particular voter that, that can kind of say this is the next block. Um, this mechanism should be decoupled from what's the communication complexity on the on the network layer between the nodes. Sure. Because if if proof of stake now is just electing a leader, uh, but requires the same kind of computa- uh, communication as proof of work, I'm not sure how this would actually help with scaling. Right. Mm. It, there must be some kind of an optimization whereby um, we can now elect a leader in a fair and decentralized way while cutting down the communication costs, mm-hmm. right? Because, I mean, BFT protocols, for instance, they, at least the, the early ones uh, from, I mean, they're, they're newer ones now, but but the, the early ones, um, like PBFT, they required quite a lot of communication among the peers, right? And this sure. is what what limits their their scalability towards a bigger set of nodes to thousands or ten thousands of nodes, right? And the beauty of proof of work, right? I mean, I know it consumes too much energy and so on. I know that's not great. And mm-hmm. but the beauty of proof of work is that you you really almost only need a one-way communication. 
right? You have a miner, he finds something, he broadcasts, and that's it. It's done. Right? Yep. There's no back and forth between these nodes. Mm. So I'm not exactly sure how, how, how the proof-of-stake protocols will turn out, but if they require more communication than proof-of-work, I don't directly see how this would help with scaling. Right? Mm -hmm. it, it would help with energy consumption, sure, uh, if you use a monetary amount as, as, a, as a means of voting power. Um, but not necessarily directly help with scale. So, um, but I'm, I'm more than curious to know. Uh, I mean, I, I will check out these protocols once they mature a bit more. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. um, I think I think the proof of work um, argument about it's consuming too much energy. It's it's only because it's right now. I think if we have energy, you know, coming from the sun, it, yeah. would would it really matter? Like how much energy Bitcoin is consuming if the energy is being consumed, you know, or is being provided by the sun. Like, I, I just don't really see that as being a, a valid argument just because if you give it enough time, then we've solved the energy problem. Right. So, yeah, but, but I see your point. I think if you're right, if you have proof of stake and you have the same limitations in terms of communicating data from one node to the next, it doesn't matter how you're, you're adding those blocks to the chain. If there's, if your choke point is the communication of data, then it's equally as not scalable as just a regular, as Bitcoin, right? Cool. Yeah. So that, that makes a lot of sense. I never really thought about, I thought about it that way. It, it is because, yeah, I mean, I've been working a lot on the, on the proof, you know, on a Bitcoin simulator, right? And in the end, you just realize it's really about network propagation. Like, mm. yeah, that, that's why... Uh, like Emin Gunsira, he 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 started this block X route, right? Uh, which was one of the few projects trying to optimize the network layer. Uh, Matt Corallo did a lot of work on the on the on the fiber network in Bitcoin to optimize the network layer, and these are very valuable efforts because they will actually really help with scalability. And not many people worked on that, right? I mean, there are layer two projects. I mean, myself included. We have worked on an upper layer, uh, which which in the end also reduces network communication because you have a star topology, right? Everything goes through one hop. Yeah. Right? There's mm -hmm. nothing There's nothing more complicated. You don't communicate any, anything sure. to the chain except checkpoints and everything goes through one hop. So fundamentally, it's really about reducing network communication. Yeah. So that makes sense. So, like, Because we were, we were doing a bunch of research at one point on EOS and what they have mm -hmm. is a delegated proof of stake where they delegate through some decentralized method a... A, a, uh, a, a node that's supposed to append the blocks in the chain, right? For this particular block, there's a, there's a delegated node that's supposed to append uh, the chain. And uh, so in, in this case, this, would, this method would solve the propagation of data if you know that you have to send all this information to one node to, to be processed instead of propagating out to a bunch of nodes and who knows you know, who's going to actually win that, that, uh, that block, right? Who's, who's actually going to pin the chain. Um, so it, it seems to add more credibility to, well, not credibility, but more understanding of a, of a delegated proof of stake versus just a proof of stake where anybody could append the block or the chain. So this is an interesting conversation just because it, this will kind of lead to, you know, DApp developers in deciding like which which blockchain they're going to be, you know, building off of. Do you think mm -hmm. Do you think scalability has a lot of um, a, a, an an attribute where developers really consider what blockchain they use based on scalability, or is it is it something that we developers expect to be solved at some point, and then they just use the chain that's most popular? Uh, it's probably the latter, I would guess, because scalability is, isn't like something that most people take into account at the beginning, I guess. They just want to get a quick prototype out. They want to see whether they get actually users at all. Um, and once they grow and they see, oh, yes, we, we get users. Oh, damn, now we have to fix the scalability problem. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> because otherwise we can't grow. Right? Then they're going to go in the, into that mode. So I think it's, it's mostly, I mean, you like premature optimization is always bad, right? Mm -hmm. um, like like Elon Musk says, uh, one of the worst um, one of the worst things that that engineers do is to optimize something that shouldn't exist, right? <laughs> <laughs> so so it often doesn't often doesn't make sense to jump onto layer two solution, which which conceptually is much more complex, right, than an on-chain transaction. 
if you can just get your first uh, uh, users uh, in, in an on-chain protocol. Hmm. So what's the onboarding process then for, say, like somebody like us? Who, like, are you guys getting dApps or apps, uh, you know, coming to you and asking you directly, like, how we want to integrate your protocol or your, your wallet or your service, whatever you identify it as. How, how would we, you know, since we have those problems that we just kind of, yeah, yeah. we're basically those guys that ran into these problems unexpectedly. Yeah. <laughs> and now right. we're looking for a solution. So what, yeah. what do we do? Exactly, right? So, so um, I mean, the, the easiest thing for you would be, I mean, we have a hub operator program currently that we actually had a deadline uh, like three days ago for, for, for the first round. Um, where we we get application where people then want to run a hub and they will build their own user base, they will build their own ecosystem, right, which is their own, own off-chain ecosystem. We just subsidize them in terms of uh, some, some monetary award, like a grant, and um, and we also do help on, on, on some of the technical, or we plan to help on, on some of the technical issues that they're facing. So you can literally just go to our GitHub fork the current software. We do have also some some videos that show how to run a hub. You can try this out, for example, on Robston. Mm -hmm. uh, will not mm -hmm. cost you anything. Uh, and uh, we even have the the mobile apps available. If you want to use the mobile apps or if you want to deploy a mobile app, you can fork our React Native version, put your branding on it and everything, and um, mm -hmm. and and deploy this to the Apple Apple App Store or the Play Store, whatever you prefer. And um, and that's about it. Um, we the off-chain software we have does not support the execution of smart contracts. So this is a, a drawback that uh, that a few DApp providers kind of uh, face, right? Because this is still very important for many many DApps out there. So we're really mostly about the transfer of funds and the swap of funds. We're really optimized to this particular use case. Hmm. So it depends a bit on how you how you if you want to, for example create a marketplace for trading uh, Decentraland tokens, right? Or Decentraland assets. Mm -hmm. Then, I mean, it, it kind of is similar to an exchange, right? Um, then you can you can perfectly run our hub, right? Because you can literally transfer and exchange those assets, ERC-20 assets on, on this hub. But this off-chain component won't be able to, um, like, um, uh, how to say... Um, what is a good use case? I don't know. Maybe upgrade your land, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if you want to upgrade your land, then probably I'm, I'm not too sure how to integrate this into 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 this layer two system. So it's more more often like an it's it's like a, a separate marketplace where you facilitate the trade and the transfer of assets for your users at a, at a lower transaction cost, so like a zero transaction cost, depending on your on your operator setting. Hmm. Okay, so trying to understand its application from our perspective, because what we what we have is a user generated content, and that content ends up being an NFT, and mm -hmm. so then we have landowners buying these NFTs and deploying on their land. So, but there's still a transfer of funds that could occur within this hub that would make more sense than using uh, on chain transactions for something like this. So can you explain, because uh, from my understanding, I always thought that off-chain transactions was not transparent, right? As, as transparent as on-chain transactions. So can you explain a little bit how your off-chain solution is still transparent for anyone to see that a transaction took place? That's a good question. Um, so all the transactions that are happening in a hub, so if you operate a hub, you as an operator, you will see all the transactions, mm -hmm. right? right. Uh, because you have to approve them. You have to literally sign off on all the transactions. So this also means that you could censor some of the transactions, right? Which some people don't like. And and this is this is one of the drawbacks, I think, of layer two solutions often that you have high efficiency, but you also have this uh, some points of uh, failure in the sense that can censor data uh, or transactions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um now, um, if you if you want to if you want to transmit something, what you do is you sign like the sender signs uh, a message. Mm -hmm. He sends this to the operator. The operator signs. Okay, I approve this transfer, and then this is being the the recipient is being notified about the about the incoming transfer. Um, and to integrate like an NFT, yeah, I think what I mean as we discussed right at the beginning, you could potentially add an NFT token as an independent token to a hub. And then you can you can transfer its part or its in its entirety to some recipient. Uh, 
then the then the recipient would need to if he wants to remove it from the off-chain system to to an on-chain system he needs to withdraw the coin sure uh there is some there's some delay time delay this isn't instant right that depends on the on the on the frequency at which the hub op, uh, submits a checkpoint on chain mm -hmm. um so this this can take this can take a day or two depending on the parameters that you use um, and then you you withdraw this ERC twenty, and then you need to convert it probably again to an NFT at mm -hmm. that point in time. Mm -hmm. So uh, at that point, to, then to, you would just interact with a smart contract that says if you have this exactly. ERC twenty, then you can yeah. get an NFT out of it. That yeah. makes sense. Sure. So um, so there isn't a like a, a ledger for this particular hub that people can go view transactions, right? So it's. The there is uh, so I mean we we have on explorer.liquidity.network we have kind of it's similar like like a block explorer but for for layer two right okay. um, we we also open source this uh, it's a UI that interfaces with the API of the hub so a hub always has an API with which the clients communicate mm -hmm. and in addition to this we made a a, a prettier uh, um, UI for users if they if they, like for hub operators if they want to provide a user interface towards um, towards their users now it depends a bit so because yeah you're asking about transparency so the the hub operator can choose to make public everything right um, I mean we for our hubs we have chosen to make everything public so you can always query the API of the hub get the latest transactions get the sender receiver amount everything is public even for for, for swaps that's also possible to, okay. to just visualize everything but it's true you have to trust the operator to give you that data sure. right? because sure. he, he doesn't have to. So uh, there's nothing that can kind of force the operator to give the data. Well, you could choose to push this data to IPFS or to some other decentralized medium. But then again, we're running into scalability bottlenecks, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which, which in the first place, we're trying to avoid. Mm -hmm. um, and so what we, what we have seen also, some hub operators will probably choose to not make public the transactions because it's in the interest of privacy of their users, sure, right? Sure. So if you, if you have an exchange or if you have a, yeah, if you can just like send coins and you don't make everything public, then who knows who deposited it in this address or withdraw from that address, you don't know, right? Uh, so it, it, it can actually function as a mixer um, if you do trust the operator. So the operator can see everything. Um, the cool part is that, uh, that the NoCast operator is not required to keep locks for more than uh, two checkpoint intervals for operation. So in a sense, the operator can really purge the past locks if he wants to. Hmm. It's not required for safe operation. So explain the checkpoint. At what point would signify something that needs to be checked into uh, a, you know a, a first layer you know blockchain yeah uh, so we have a like in the in the current mainnet hub that we have we have a 36 hour checkpoint interval so this means every 36 hours we commit a, a root hash of the merkle tree sure. to to the smart contract uh, the cool thing about this is that the the operational costs of such a hub are really low like deployment costs like roughly a hundred bucks, mm -hmm. right? Um, and uh, one checkpoint is like between two and three US dollar at the current gas prices. So it's really cheap. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so the, the operational costs for, for the operator, at least for, 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 from that point, is, is really cheap, which is nice. Um, then, so if you deposit coins, they're almost immediately available. I think we have a 60 block security period where we only allow them to be traded, uh, to, to be transferred in the hub after 60 blocks. Sure. If you want to withdraw, it's it's going into two, in two phases. You have to initiate a withdrawal. So you have to say, I want to withdraw. And if the operator doesn't complain, so he, he says, if he doesn't say anything, then you can later confirm your withdrawal. Mm -hmm. So this period can take up to two checkpoint intervals which is seven to two hours so that's quite a while right so mm -hmm. it's not it's not always ideal for for some traders that maybe want to take out money quickly sure. um, so that that's certainly a bottleneck now what you can do to alleviate this issue you can either shrinken the the time interval for the checkpoint you can make it smaller making the checkpoint smaller is kind of similar to making a smaller block time interval right <laughs> um the the issue with smaller intervals is that your users they have to come online once every checkpoint to verify that their that their balance 
in the checkpoint is correct. Mm. Uh, it's something we haven't discussed yet. It's the online availability uh, or the the online or the yeah the online requirement of sure. of, of, uh, of of most layer two solutions. Um, so a user must come online once every checkpoint interval in order to verify that the, their balance is correctly allocated in the Merkle tree. Um, if it's not correctly allocated, they would need to issue a challenge to challenge the smart the, the hub, basically the smart contract. Mm -hmm. um, so you can play around with the with the period. We recommend longer time, longer periods, because then you also have a leeway to to debug the, the the operator in case it misses submitting a checkpoint or it crashed or something. Right? Sure. You have you have a bit more leeway, kind of to to rescue in a sense the hub. Um, and um, so the challenge is is really there as a safety measure for the users of the hub. It's very important. So, yeah. so that means, like, if I run a hub and I do something malicious, my, um, I guess, anyone using that hub can issue a challenge, and therefore, I can't do anything. I can't submit, I can't submit that uh, that signature onto the chain because there's a challenge on on the hub. Yes. Interesting. So, if you if if you get challenged as a hub operator. At least our smart contract. Well, you can change your smart contract, but our smart contract at the moment it freezes the hub operation. This means no more no more checkpoints allowed. Nothing will be basically it's a rollback to the last checkpoint. Mm, interesting. Um, yeah. We we do that because um, I mean this is this is a significant event, right? So all the users of this hub they will be aware that something went off because their their coins either have to move or so. Mm -hmm. Um, and and it's it's I think we we find it's important that um, that the that the hub stops if the hub tries to um, defraud to only one user, right? Like if if there's if there's already one user that's kind of a victim, and then it can be any user, right? Yeah, so there's, yeah, there's at least it's our policy so far. So what you could also do in addition to this, you could set up like a security collateral, right? You could say if if I die, if the hub stops operating, or if I if I get successfully challenged by someone, then I don't know. There will be these ten thousand bucks that get burnt, right? You can you could you could come up with such incentive schemes to deteriorate uh, misbehavior of the hub operator. Mm -hmm. So let's walk yeah. through a scenario. So the three of us we're we're on a hub, and uh, mm -hmm. let's say in this hub you've amassed you know hundreds of thousands of dollars. And uh, Iman sees his his balance as not correct, so then he issues a challenge. So, yeah. so you're saying without that checkpoint being submitted onto the blockchain, then your your balance within the hub isn't uh, isn't yours until that checkpoint is in. Um. So your off-chain balance that you see is not your balance unless it's confirmed in a checkpoint. Yes. Okay, makes sense. So, so, so there's a delayed finality. Yeah. yeah. So what this provides is to to put it in like in simple words is that you could you could do thousands of transactions within the hub for a mm -hmm. single gas fee. Yeah, I mean for no gas fee. Right? Well, you, no, no. Well, so yeah, it's no gas fee during those thousands of transactions. But as soon yeah. as you submit into the block, into the into the main chain, then you you do have to pay for that gas, right? That one transaction. But, but, but that's the operator, so there's no user paying for this. Ah, okay. This is always the okay. at least in our model. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense yeah. because if you run a business based on this hub, and your mm -hmm. business makes money, then you just pay the one you know gas fee as a business to submit everything. Correct. Yes. That makes sense. So. You kind of subsidize uh, the the cost of this. I mean, because they're not very high, right? I think it's it's reasonable. Um, if you want to have instant finality, you can also achieve that. We specified this in our paper. Um, it's a bit more complicated, but you can what you can effectively do. You can say every 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 checkpoint interval, uh, Iman can receive ten ether, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So if he if he gets sent five ether, then these these five ethers, they're insured by this collateral that was put up like exclusively for him, for his account. Right? And if he receives 10 ether, then the, and the hub goes down, he still received those 10 ether because he can claim them from the smart contract. Mm -hmm. If he now receives 15 ether, then he won't be able to claim that uh, these five over uh, these five ether that are overlapping, right? He can only claim the 10. So you, if you want to, if you need instant finality, 
like a payment channel offers, right? Like a payment channel has collateral and you have instant finality, therefore. Like, uh, I have to be a bit careful because some some folks that are listening will probably say, oh, there's still not finality. Um, yeah. We call it economic finality, right? Because yeah. in the end, you get you get the money, so. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you can get economic finality if you put up collateral. That's possible, yeah. But it, it requires a bit more. I mean, it would require more uh, more engineering on the back end to to make sure that this is properly allocated and yeah. Okay, so if um, if you watch us long enough in our podcast and our YouTube, we, we we do talk about Decentraland a lot. But <clears throat> there there is a lot of trust within our community uh, on what we're doing because. Our project is is not funded, and so we built we we built our DAP based on the the ideologies of lean startups, and so we built the most minimum viable product that we possibly could just to test out our assumptions on on this application, right? This DAP, right? Yeah, and uh, so so a lot of the stuff that we built was completely centralized. Everything, all the transactions, obviously the transactions are on chain, just like you would expect. However the the interactions within the community within our dap they're all essentially centralized and we're working towards decentralizing everything with smart contracts and uh and then you know issuing nfts based on these purchases because right now people are trusting us that the the creations that our community makes and submits into our dap eventually will turn into nfts that that they can deploy so for now our users are depending on us to handle all that um, minting process without them actually being NFTs because when we were building this DAP, we didn't really know it was going to work until it was actually tested. And so now that we know that it works, we're working towards decentralization. So all this is to say, my question is, when you built this 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 hub mechanism, there's still inherent trust in, in the hub operator. Do you see any pushback from from your community on having to trust a hub operator in a in a space where no one is really supposed to trust each other and you know that's why we're decentralizing everything it's a it's a very good question so unfortunately from our community at least we don't hear anything to be honest oh really um, okay which which is uh, which is kind of alarming. I think I'm the one who's like, yeah. we have to decentralize. Other people have to run hubs. We we, we like. I don't think like. I mean, it's maybe because my my background is more in academia, and I've been working like most like most of my blockchain time in on the academic side of things, right? Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, we're I'm I'm really pushing very hard now that other people run hubs. It's not like uh, anyone from the core team that's running hubs necessarily. Um, because it's the only way that this is really getting traction in in a broader sense and and not controlled by any single entity or person. Um, so yeah, you could, for example, run several Nocast hubs right for Decentraland if you wanted to. Sure. But, um, this is certainly something I would I would recommend you to do because then you have less risk, right? Because if one hub goes down, well, so what? It's just one hub. It's not all of them. You have less centralization because. In the end, you will have somebody with a key to sign these transactions for the hub. Um, alternatively, what you could do is to come up with some kind of a permissioned blockchain that operates the hub server, right? That that represents the server, but then you run also in some scalability issues. Um, I think it's it's just it, it's a good it's a good uh, like one app or one use case or one. I don't know, one continent in Decentraland, one hub is a good model, right? Sure. Because you could, I mean, this is kind of what we had envisioned too. We, you have like one hub per country or one hub per major city or something. Sure. This, this makes sense, right? Yeah. So um, I, I would say, yeah, because like from our perspective, we would, have, we would run our own hub for our own DAP. And then anybody, anybody in Decentraland can run their own and their own hub for whatever they're doing. Um, yeah. I, I wonder... So your users right now, you're you're saying that you're encouraging others to run their own hub. Are are you onboarding users to um, uh, an existing hub? Like, can you are you able to run a a multiple set of different types of transactions? Say, for example, a hub is running multiple DApps within the same hub. Is is that is that possible? Um. I mean, again, we only support the transfer and the swap of assets, right? Okay. Uh, 
like but you can support multiple tokens so there's no limit in the sense to how many tokens you support okay. well there, there is a limit technically because you need um the, the checkpoint probably is going to be a bit more expensive if you have like millions of tokens so sure. i would need to look into that but um yeah um but technically you can have multiple dApps using kind of this this transfer or swap functionality from a single hub that, that should be possible I guess. yeah yeah because in this case you would only need to trust the operator of that hub. And it doesn't really matter what transactions are happening within the hub. You just have to essentially trust that the operator is going to not do anything malicious with, with those transactions. Yeah. I mean, trust, trust is a, is a, is a, is a, is a difficult word, right? I mean, tech, if, if, and this is a big if, right? If users follow the protocol specifications that means they come online they use the client they do verification that everything is right right if they do come online every 36 hours for example if you have this this kind of interval then technically you don't have to trust the operator because mm -hmm. you this is non-custodial right the operator has not access to the user's funds but it's true if the users don't come online then the operator can be malicious and can change their balances without them basically steal their balances that's possible mm -hmm. so it it's kind of the same thing in bitcoin right if you don't follow the protocol of verifying whether your transaction is actually included in a blockchain you just accept the transaction that is like like a zero confirmation transaction you sure. accept a zero confirmation transaction and it's your loss right yeah. uh, you didn't follow the protocol um, <laughs> so but you're right if the hub does something malicious against one user and at, at the end of the day he gets challenged, then you have you have more work because like like the other honest like the, the other users have more work because they need to basically clean up the mess sure. right, with the with the hub operator. Yeah, because the, the one challenger is really holding up everybody else's balances. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Um no, I I like where this is going because it has a lot of applications within Decentraland at least. And and I know we, we talk about Decentraland a lot and we're trying to not talk about it as often just because, you know, there's a whole lot of uh, innovations happening within the space that we want to like explore as well. Just because it, it's one of those, I don't know if you remember like in uh, 2011, you know, we, we all probably heard about Bitcoin early on, but most people tend to blow off anything that they don't really understand. And uh, we're trying to avoid that by, you know, exploring everything that's out there and seeing what everybody is working on just so that we don't miss an opportunity for, you know, being early on a project that, you know, you believe in, you know, and like, for example, in Tesla's case or, you know, obviously in Bitcoin. So I like seeing all these innovations like from a technical standpoint because I like to understand like how how it's being applied. So would you uh, could you. Like, tell us, like, what are, what are some of the projects that are using a liquidity network that you might want to, like, showcase or explain what they're doing? Mm -hmm. So we have, for example, we have one uh, MicroMe service. This is like a micro-tipping service for, for social networks. I think it's micro with a Q. Um, micro with a Q, okay. Yeah, yeah. This was one, one uh, basically a service from a third party developer that uh, that that developed like a um, uh, yeah micro link so you can tip people in social network it's very similar to the um, have you heard about the the tipping tipping me yes. for the tip bitcoin yeah, yeah. It, it's something similar right and it goes in the same direction so i think the 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 architecture we have is really destined to high frequency microtransactions right um, it's it works best if you if you have like a lot of small transactions it um because yeah you, it 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 is uh, it is relatively cheap uh it's very cheap actually to do single transactions so you can do many many small value transactions uh, very well um so this is i think one example use case we have also we have built actually an exchange uh, that you can find on tax.liquidity.network it's uh, let's share the link this one here that's a it's a full blown exchange like with an order book and so on um, that works off chain on top of this this uh, on top of the the Nocust hub. You can you can um, uh, you can actually use the software. So we have open source this part as well. So the UI of the exchange is open source, um, and the hub software we have already has all the logic of the exchange included. So as well as the order book logic and and everything. So you can really deploy your own tax if you will uh, today. 
mm-hmm. with with this software package uh, to try it out. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely check it out. Uh, I wonder what was your like outlook and, and perspective on the differences between uh, a bear market and a, and a bull market in terms of like your business. Do you see less traffic, less activity during a bear market, or is is there no difference? Because the, the way that we see it is there's sort of like an eighty the eighty twenty rule when it comes to crypto projects is that twenty percent of the the audience is really interested in the technology and the innovation and the development. And the 80% is just there for the speculative projects, like, you know, trying to make money. Right. So Uh, what would have you, what have you seen like in terms of activity between the two different like bear and bull markets? Um, yeah, I, I have the feeling, but maybe I'm maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I have the feeling there's more building activities if if the prices are rising. Oh, more like building. I've, okay. Yeah, like maybe not. No, not not more building, but more marketing activities that claim building. Ah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's a distinction. I, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. So I have the feeling that 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 if if there's like a positive upward trend that. That a lot of people are suddenly claiming they they have the best solution to everything, and yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. while while the builders they just keep on building yeah. like irrespectively of of what the prices look like, right? Because it's a cycle after all. Um, so basically, when there's a a bull market, there's a lot more talking and a lot less doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of talking. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think that, I mean there were some people. I mean, okay. Twitter is maybe not the best example, but but some people claim that layer two solutions they spend more time on comparing themselves to other layer two solutions yeah. than on attracting users. Right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 that's probably true to some degree sometimes, right? Which is not necessarily healthy. Right? I mean, but I certainly recommend you to check out all layer two solutions on Ethereum. There are excellent ones out there. Yeah. Um, with and and everything has drawbacks and and benefits, right? That's just how how it is. Um, but um, yeah, we we wrote an SOK uh, that, that kind of like academically compares the different layer two solutions. It doesn't contain uh, rollup though, so because rollup wasn't or isn't yet fully specified in any paper. And I think rollup is quite quite an interesting technology that you should also have a look at if you haven't yet. I guess you have already. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so let me share this with you. So this is the so SOK in the academic world is 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 an acronym for systemization of knowledge. Um, so we try to kind of like yeah how to say um, um, compress all the existing re- academic related works on layer two, right? And this means it's it's handling over channels, commit chains, and and also other other uh, constructions. It's it's fairly technical, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, it gives you a good high level overview. This was published at the beginning of the year in February at the conference. So it was, I mean, we wrote it last year, right? In the beginning of last year, and then it takes like almost a year to go through the review process and so on. Sure. It was published at uh, Financial Crypto, which is a fairly good conference in the space. Uh, but it's missing. I, I mean, if I look at it now, it's missing, for example, all the things roll up that are really interesting. Um, and um, could be that there's some more detail, like Starkware has an interesting DEX that I, I'm not sure if it's, yeah, it's probably roll-up related. Um, yeah. Um, but it might give you an, an overview, but yeah, it's obviously not complete. Sure, sure. Um, I'm curious, what's the business model for liquidity network? Like if, uh, if I take out a hub, how do you guys make money? Um, so yeah, we, we actually don't directly make any money, uh, if you run a hub. So, I mean, we, we believe in decentralization, right? So this is kind of your business and, and your, your user base in a sense, if you want, uh, I don't like this, the term of your user base because it's, and again, it's a centralized connotation, but yeah. sure, sure, sure. um, but, um, so for the hubs that we, that we support, uh, we we have as a requirement that they accept our token LQD as a means of payments mm. for uh, additional rewards uh, for 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 like for example um, in, on our app at the moment you can do 100 transactions per day if you're a normal user if you want to go beyond that for example if you're a business or something uh, then you need to pay one LQD token to to get more transactions uh, per day. Mm. 
obviously this is this is not a substantial amount right but this is kind of the 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 way that that hub operators can can monetize for example their their transactions right so there's it's good because there's like an upper limit on the spam that the that the server that the hub server needs to process also right you want to have some kind of an upper limit there um but if you for example don't want to participate in our grant program for hub operators uh, you don't have to take our token, right? You can use your token or any sure. other token. It's not a requirement. It's like really, it's a free software for everyone to use in whatever ways they think it's it's beneficial. Hmm, that's interesting. So by using your token, then you're adding utility to your token and therefore increasing the value. And okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, on, on that note, I think we've uh, spent an hour. I don't want to take any more of your time, Arthur. Um, I want to thank you for joining us. I think this has been very helpful for us to understanding like the technology. You know, this is <clears throat> very valuable for us and, and to many in the audience just because, you know, reading PDFs and reading websites and it's just not good enough, right? It's no, you, you got the human factor is missing. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's definitely missing. And this is, and I know this takes a lot of, a lot of your time doing these interviews, but it's very helpful um, from our standpoint in terms of like trying to figure out, you know, what is the best way to do a business using, you know, cryptocurrencies and and dealing with all the dif difficulties, you know, that come along with using cryptocurrencies as a as a payment mechanism. And then on top of that, trying to be as transparent and decentralized as you can, which is, you know, something that people are not used to waiting for, you know, 20, 50 confirmations. Right. It's not it's not a thing that we're we've grown up, you know, doing. So having, you know, the opportunity to talk to you and have, have you explain this technology really helps us in like trying to figure out like what we should do in terms of, you know, getting this right. Because, uh, you know, in business, you only really have one shot. And if you have more shots, you're just lucky. Right. Yeah. So, so thank you for being here, Arthur. I really appreciate it. No, it was a very pleasant talk. Thanks a lot for your time too. Yes. Hopefully we can do it again. And uh, thank you guys for watching. Thank you for listening to the Blockrunner podcast. Make sure you visit our website, theblockrunner.com, and sign up to stay up to date on the latest in crypto. Also, reach out to us on Twitter, at TheBlockRunner. Yeah.